Hello and welcome to a special edition of Baker McKenzie's Resilience, Recovery, and Renewal podcast series, where the focus is on the road to COP26. Now, in the lead up to the highly anticipated UN Climate Conference, we're going to look at the role that companies around the world play in the race to net zero. We'll discuss the challenges, as well as the opportunities, that leaders are facing as they look to become more sustainable and address climate change. Now, we all know that many companies have made a commitment to reach net zero by 2050 or earlier. However, to achieve that goal, many require the use of carbon offsets, where they've been unable to eliminate or reduce emissions in their own operations or supply chains. In this episode, we'll discuss the risks and opportunities around carbon offsets and what this means for the private sector. I'm Jen Northam, and joining me today is Alana Miller. Alana is a partner at Baker McKenzie and heads their global climate change practice. She's worked extensively on the development of carbon contracts, carbon funds, and carbon transactions in both the compliance and voluntary markets. Also joining us is Graham Stewart. Graham's a partner in Baker McKenzie's London office, and he specializes in climate law and sustainability, particularly in relation to products and supply chains. And last but certainly not least is Jeff Schwartz. Jeff is the climate director in the strategy and sustainability team at BP, where he's developing and managing all climate policy related issues. Thanks to everyone for joining me. So Alana, let's start with the basics. In order to combat climate change, many countries and companies are trying to achieve net zero by 2050. That's in line with the Paris Agreement. But what exactly does net zero mean? Well, Jen, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or what's known as the IPCC, defined net zero as the point when anthropogenic or human-induced emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere are balanced by the anthropogenic or human-induced removals over a particular period of time. Now, the Paris Agreement sets out the need to achieve this balance by the second half of this century, Um, but increasingly we're hearing from the scientific community that if we want to actually keep emissions to 1.5 degree warming above pre-industrial levels, then this balance will need to be achieved much sooner. And in order to achieve net zero, many companies are using what's called carbon offsets, and that allows companies to invest in environmental projects in order to balance out their own carbon footprint. So how can companies use offsets and what are some of the most common types available that you're seeing? So an offset or what is also sort of referred to as a carbon credit um, represents the emission reductions that have been achieved by a registered program, project or activity under a carbon standard. And each carbon um, offset or carbon credit generally represents one tonne of carbon dioxide equivalent of emission reductions. And these emission reductions, as we call them, can actually include um, removals or sequestration of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere, for example, in biological sinks or using other technological um, long-term removal or storage techniques, or conversely, the avoidance or reduction of emissions um, of greenhouse gases, for example, reducing emissions from changes to industrial processes, the capture of methane from waste facilities, and also potentially renewable energy facilities. Over the past 15 years, we've seen a number of different voluntary carbon standards um, that have developed to be able to credit emission reductions um, that can then be used by companies for the purposes of making these types of um, claims with respect to net zero and carbon neutrality. Um, And the leading standards that we see in the market are the verified carbon standard that's administered by VERA and also the gold standard. 
Now, when we look to the use of offsets by companies making net zero or carbon neutral claims, the way that different organisations that certify these claims, so for example, in Australia, we have a certification around carbon neutrality called Climate Active. And this highlights the, the importance that when using offsets, you know, companies must reduce emissions where possible, and then they compensate for the remainder of their emissions by investing in these carbon offset projects to achieve net zero overall emissions. Now, Graham, this all sounds positive, what Alana is saying, uh, but using carbon offsets is also somewhat controversial. I mean, critics are arguing that companies will use them as a way to potentially avoid making their own fundamental changes within their organization. And how do you respond to that criticism? How can companies avoid the reputational risk, really, of not looking like they're greenwashing? We have compliance markets such as the EU Emissions Trading System or Australia's Emission Reduction Fund or, or the Californian Emissions Trading System, all, all of which have highly developed legislative structures and regulatory oversight. In contrast, it's, it's fair to say that the voluntary market, which underpins most offsets used by companies to meet their voluntary reduction commitments, has evolved in a less regulated way. Typically for the voluntary markets, it's the NGOs that run the various offset schemes that have developed the applicable standards and program rules, as well as establishing registries for the creation, trading and retirement of offsets. But even though many of the voluntary offset schemes have highly developed rules, there are certainly a view held by some that a number of the schemes lack transparency. And there have been many questions about the environmental integrity of projects registered under some standards. For example, the Financial Times newspaper recently ran an article questioning the stapling of offsets to LNG cargoes and the related marketing of carbon neutral fuel. The Guardian newspaper has similarly called into question the environmental integrity and emission reductions being achieved through Red Plus projects in Latin America and whether the baselines and the methods applied by the relevant carbon standard are actually credible. Questions have also been raised about the conduct of some market intermediaries, such as fraudulent sales to unsophisticated investors or the double selling of offsets. And finally, the standards themselves, which for the most part seek to uphold high standards of integrity, are sometimes criticised for their processes and their support for particular project types. Despite these criticisms, though, offsets absolutely do form uh, a legitimate and core part of many companies' strategies to meet their climate commitments. And that legitimacy is recognised by many of the bodies that certify carbon neutral claims. On greenwashing, though, it is true that the claims made by companies are subject to close scrutiny and there's a risk of being accused of making misleading and deceptive statements. It's therefore critical that companies that are using offsets as part of their carbon neutral claims are able transparently to demonstrate the integrity of those offsets in terms of key issues such as additionality, permanence, and the avoidance of leakage. Um, in other words, before you make a claim, ensure that it's accurate and supportable. Once you've made a claim, ensure that it remains true, that the factors that support it have not changed over time. And if you do have allegations or suspicions of a false claim, you need to be able to initiate an effective investigation and take any necessary corrective measures. Now, Jeff, I'd love to bring you in because, you know, Lord Brown, the former chairman of BP, was one of the first proponents of using carbon trading to tackle climate change. And that was back in 1997. Last year, BP was one of many to announce its commitment to reaching net zero by 2050. Can you talk us through some of the steps that BP's taken to reach that target 
and the role that carbon offsets might play in your strategy? Sure. So in February 2020, BP launched five new aims to get to net zero by 2050, if not sooner. The first of those aims is to be net zero across our entire operations on an absolute basis by 2050 or sooner. This relates to our scope one and scope two emissions, and we've already demonstrated progress here. From 2019 to 2020, our operational emissions have declined by 16%. And our second aim to get to net zero is to become net zero on an absolute basis across the carbon in our upstream oil and gas production by 2050 or sooner. So from 2019 to 2020, we've already brought down the emissions in our upstream oil and gas by 9%. And we're aiming for 20% by 2025 and 35 to 40% by 2030. Our third aim to get to net zero is to have the intensity of the carbon in the products we sell by 50% by 2050 or sooner. Our fourth aim to get to net zero is to reduce methane, and we're aiming to install methane measurement across all of our existing major oil and gas processing sites by 2023, publish that data, and then drive our reduction in methane by 50% across all of our operations. And our fifth aim is to provide more money for new clean energies. And we're hoping to increase the proportion of investment we make into our non-oil and gas businesses. So that was what we set out 12 months ago. And our portfolio has already expanded in terms of low carbon energy. So we've grown our low carbon energy projects by 400%. We were only four gigawatts in 2019, and we're now 21 gigawatts in our pipeline today. We've added wind energy to our low carbon business. We had zero gigawatts of offshore wind energy in 2019, and we have 3.7 gigawatts in our pipeline today. And we're increasing the amount of electric vehicle charging points that we have in our portfolio. So we've plugged in more than 40% additional BP electric vehicle charging points over the last two years, and we're aiming for 70,000 electric vehicle charging points by 2030. We've also kickstarted our hydrogen business. So we had zero hubs in 2019, but we now have seven planned in Europe and Australia. And we aim to have 10% market share of hydrogen in, in core markets by 2030. So we're making real progress. And our focus is to transition BP's portfolio and to prioritize emissions in that portfolio before we engage in any type of offsets. But we do think that offsets are an important opportunity for companies uh, in the development of their net zero strategies. And we're not planning on using offsets to meet our net zero aims or targets out to 2030, but we do see offsets potentially helping us go beyond those aims when our businesses use them to meet compliance needs or when we offer them to customers to help them meet their own goals. We expect that global demand for offsets is likely to grow as more companies use them to achieve their climate-related goals, and we intend to offer offsets to our customers to help them meet their own goals. And one of the things that Graham just mentioned about integrity is super important to BP. Our approach is that all offsets offered by BP should address the issues of additionality, leakage, measurement accuracy, and permanence. They should aim to safeguard and improve other social and environmental elements, and they should meet the standards for independent third-party verification. 
Jeff, you've said that BP is offering offsets to your customers to help support their goals. Can you talk us through how you're doing that and how you see the offset market evolving? So at BP, we think that customers should follow what's called the mitigation hierarchy. And the mitigation hierarchy is about avoiding, minimizing, and reducing your own emissions before you choose to use offsets. And that's what we're doing at BP. So we want to lead by example here. One of the initiatives that we've been a founding member of is called the Natural Climate Solutions Alliance, the NCS Alliance. And this is a, a great opportunity for companies who are interested in using offsets in the natural climate solution space to work together to deliver best practice, follow the mitigation hierarchy, and transparently demonstrate how they're using offsets to achieve their climate-related or net-zero goals. We also think that customers are expected to focus on natural climate solutions or over other offset types. There's an emerging trend amongst companies to support offsets in the land use space. We know from recent reports by the IPCC that addressing tropical deforestation is one of the most important things we could be doing right now to halt extreme events of, of weather change and climate change. So investing in offsets in the natural climate solution space is an area where uh, both BP is intending to scale up efforts, but where we also expect our customers will be very interested in as well. And we also expect a growing proportion of the offsets that customers use to be so-called carbon removals rather than carbon reduction over time. And we're very excited to help contribute to that space and, and see and help nurture a market for carbon removals grow over the coming decade. Now, Alana, one of the things that we touched on earlier was this um, subject of accountability. And that's been one of the biggest challenges with carbon offsets. Many question whether carbon offset projects actually will deliver the carbon benefits that they promise. How can companies ensure that they're investing in projects that actually deliver the emissions reductions that they do promise? In the first instance, I'd agree completely with what Jeff's just said around the, the importance of the, the mitigation hierarchy. And, and I'm also really excited about you know, the, the opportunities around looking at, at carbon removals. One of the, the biggest challenges, as you identify, is this risk around the impact on public confidence um, with respect to corporate claims around the, the carbon credits that they're, they're using. And we've seen a number of organisations, um, you know, for example, the, the Voluntary Carbon Market Integrity Initiative, looking at how you can characterise the claims that are being made by companies in respect to carbon neutral and net zero, and also looking at what constitutes high integrity use of carbon credits for voluntary purposes. And I think that that focus on high integrity is absolutely key. We're seeing the, the development of um, a, a more rigorous approach to identifying what constitutes quality, and that's quality both in terms of the environmental integrity of, of the units, but also the integrity in the governance systems that sit around the creation of those units. And then I think what's really important to look at is also the um, guidance that is coming out around the nature of the claims that are being made about the use of these units. And just again, by, by way of reference to the work of the Voluntary Carbon Market Integrity Initiative, you know, they are providing some guidance around um, criteria for transparent claims um, that can be made with respect to the, the use of high quality carbon offsets. 
And those claims need to be true and accurate. They need to be clear and relevant to the audience that is going to receive them. Um, they need to be substantiated with objective and transparent and up-to-date data. And they've got to avoid overstating the beneficial environmental um, impacts of the activity and also avoid creating a false impression of hiding trade-offs. And Graham, one person who's pushing for a central marketplace for carbon credits um, and saying actually it's quite imperative to create this marketplace is the former Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. Now, his task force on scaling voluntary carbon markets has recently released its proposal for the creation of a governance board and new standards for trading the um, carbon offsets. What do you think about this and do you agree? I don't necessarily agree that a central market is imperative, uh, but I do agree that greater market oversight and, and standardization is vital for the market to be able to scale up. And because of the scrutiny of companies using offsets, many large corporates are highly attuned to the, the reputational risks associated with the use of offsets and the quality of those offsets. And what we are starting to see to address these issues is greater guidance on how the use of offsets might contribute to commitments aligned to the Paris Agreement, and in particular, the importance of using what are called high-integrity offsets, as Ilona was mentioning. So over the past 12 months, the, the task force for scaling voluntary carbon markets has been convening voluntary carbon market participants in various working groups with the goal of developing high-integrity carbon credits that can be traded in robust transparent and liquid markets. And in, in this respect, work is focused on developing a set of threshold standards known as core carbon principles or CCPs for those credits that meet high levels of quality and uh, integrity. And the rationale for creating this CCP label is the increasing demand from buyers for high quality credits, particularly where companies are making specific claims that may require a particular offset type, such, such as removal offsets. Um, the task force is also envisaging that a new governance body, which is currently being developed, will be mandated to implement the CCPs by evaluating which standards and methodology types may issue CCP labelled credits. And in its work, the task force has identified both credit level principles, such as real, additional, permanent, verified, uh, no double counting, etc. And uh, operational principles for the standards and programs that issue carbon credits, such as program governance, transparency, public participation, uh, and the like. Um, so these developments will hopefully provide a much enhanced level of consistency across the market. Alana, what about the global standards? I mean, do you think that we're anywhere near seeing a cohesive set of globally regulated standards and best practices? I think what we are certainly seeing through the work of the task force on scaling voluntary carbon markets, a real move towards creating that more um, consistent and cohesive approach to governance and also to the approach to credits, um, you know, particularly looking at the development of these um, core carbon principles. The task force has recently had an expression of interest um, call for participants, um, you know, to be, be members of this new new governance body. And I think once that's set up, which will hopefully be by COP26, then we'll be able to really move forward on the approach to developing this more standardised approach to, to regulation of the voluntary carbon market, you know, using that, that framework and governance arrangement that is being set up um, by the task force. And let's talk about COP26. It's looking at it as a real a pivotal event um, this year, especially. 
What do you think some of the bigger issues are that are going to be on the table when it comes to companies achieving net zero and particularly carbon offsets? And, and what do you or BP hope is actually achieved at this meeting? Well, let's take a step back and remember that COP26 is for governments, not for companies. So the pressure is on at COP26 for governments to deliver on and exceed the pledges that they set out in Paris to reduce emissions. COP26 should be all about setting net zero targets and governments should put forward net zero targets by 2050 if they haven't done so or sooner. That's the main event. And I think going back to what Olona was just saying and what you were just asking about voluntary carbon markets, Let's remember that there are voluntary carbon markets and then there are actual compliance carbon markets when governments actually put a regulated price on carbon. And that's what the effort should be on at COP26. It should be on delivering on net zero, pledging net zero and delivering on it and declaring that you're going to put a price on carbon as a country if you haven't done so already. And at BP, we're extremely supportive of countries to pledge net zero and to put a price on carbon. So to answer your question about companies in the run-up to COP26, I have to emphasize the importance of having a net zero ambition. I think to be a credible company these days, you have to have a net zero ambition. Pressure is on for companies to, to, to declare and to deliver on net zero. And what we do in this decade really matters. It's all about the reductions that we prioritize and we deliver on at rapid scale in this decade that matters. If you are going to offset your emissions, it can't be in place of that decarbonization. For companies that are interested in supporting offsets and, and helping grow the voluntary offset market through the likes of the, the task force on scaling up voluntary carbon markets, I think it's important to be as transparent as possible and provide as much info as possible on how you as a company are going to use offsets and what you're actually using them for. Well, Alona, do you want to jump in on this, on, on what you expect out of COP26 and what, what you're hoping will be achieved? In terms of, of COP26, absolutely, um, you know, as Jeff has said, it is about ambition. It is really about looking at what um, governments can do to, to scale up the, um, the contributions that they're making and aligning their national approaches and their nationally determined contributions with a pathway to, to achieve decarbonisation. I mean, one of the, the key issues in the negotiations around COP26 does come back to markets. Um, you know, we've had ongoing negotiations around what's called Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, which deals with cooperative approaches, which can be implemented by, by countries to essentially support each other in undertaking pro projects, programs, activities that will um, contribute to um, achieving and going beyond the commitments that are made in nationally determined contributions. Settling on the rules for that will provide a framework for, as Jeff has said, you know, the, you know, the other component here, which is that, that broader international compliance market for units. One of the, the very key components of those negotiations does come back to the point we mentioned before around integrity. And we've seen through the negotiations, a number of countries are really, you know, pushing for the rules that are developed to, um, you know, govern the, the implementation of Article 6 to be driven by principles of high ambition and high integrity. 
And so my last question then is for, for each of you. Um, for those companies that are looking to use carbon offsets as part of their strategy to reach net zero, what are your top three pieces of advice? I mean, what are some of the steps they should be taking or questions they might be asking? Alana, can we start with you? My very brief um, you know, advice would be firstly to, to focus on, on high quality credits, you know, look at the environmental and governance integrity that underpin those credits. Companies should be doing their due diligence to really understand where the credits are coming from and the projects and the basis and the methods that underpin them. And then thirdly, when making claims about their use of offsets, they should be ensuring that those claims are credible and verifiable. And Graham, what about you? Firstly, yes, think hard about the types of offsets you want and do your due diligence of various carbon offset standards that offer them. Um, secondly, be careful about the public claims you make about your offsetting, make sure all those claims are accurate and supportable and remain true over time. And thirdly, I would say keep a watch on the work of the Task Force for Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets and the development of the, the core carbon principles for credits that meet high levels of quality and integrity. And Jeff, you get the last word today. What are your top three pieces of advice? I would say, one, follow the mitigation hierarchy, prioritize direct emission reductions in your own portfolio before you offset and always make sure that you're offsetting in addition to those direct emissions reductions and prioritize action this decade. This decade is what really matters. And finally, advocate. Advocate for carbon pricing. Advocate for countries to put a price on carbon if they haven't done so already and advocate for a rule book for Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, which is all about cooperation between countries on international carbon markets. Use that advocacy wisely and make sure that you're using your company's voice to advocate in favor of carbon pricing and in favor of net zero ambition. I think advocating is as equally important as taking action and the two should always go together. Great advice, everyone. Thank you all for joining me. For more information, visit our COP26 hub on bakermckenzie.com. Thanks for listening.